Hey there, and welcome to the Catching Up with Casey show, where we talk about anything and everything that has to do with building cohesive, vision-driven teams. I am Casey Watts, school impact strategist and the host of this show. Now, if you are here, then you inevitably are an instructional leader who wants to make change happen, even when change seems impossible. And you can do that if you have cohesive vision-driven teams that have done clarity work. They know exactly where they're headed and how they're going to get there. These teams have done identity work and they've built their self and social awareness skills. And they have done collaboration work and they know how to move beyond faux collaboration to get to true collaboration where change happens and where people get on board. I'm so excited to bring to you conversations that help you to do exactly that. The work that needs to be done to build cohesive vision-driven teams. Now, with all of that said, let's dive into today's conversation. Well, hey there, everybody, and welcome to tonight's show. We are on episode 64 tonight, and I am joined with Dr. Michelle D. Grew. I am so excited to have you. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Thank you. Yeah, and so tonight we're going to be talking with Michelle about how to connect the dots between curriculum and instruction. And this is going to be a fantastic conversation, and I do hope that as we're going this through this show you will drop in the comments your questions, your thoughts, your ideas, and things that are really standing out to you so we know what's resonating. So, Michelle, tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do. Well, as you said, I'm Michelle, and I live in a small town in northern Indiana in Shipshawana. And I recently, back in November, started as an education consultant And my focus is on working with our standards, with curriculum alignment, do a lot of curriculum mapping. And we have in the state of Indiana, our statewide assessment is iLearn. And that is uh, an area that I have since 2018 really dug into and uh, been able to really see how the many pieces that were provided from the DOE and from the standards fit together. And I've worked with a lot of schools on that. And so with my background as a curriculum director and then in working with um, actually two of the state's nine educational service centers, um, have been able to um, take that experience and sort of specialize in those areas to work with schools and um, I've loved the ability to kind of just get in a lane and really specialize and dig deep into those areas. Yeah. And that can be such a powerful thing. I think not only for us as educators, like when you find that one thing that you can get really passionate about, but it's so impactful for the people that we work with too, because we're not trying to learn all of these other new things or trying to fit the bill for what they need, but we have a very specific specialized area. And I love that. 
What I love even more is your LLC is titled Connect the Dots. So tell us about how that came to be and what it means. Yeah, for me, that has a meaning both personally and professionally. So professionally, it represents my brain. So when I started in the curriculum field, I had been in teaching for 20 years. And when I started in the curriculum field, what I found is that my brain was able to really synthesize information in a way that simplified it and made it applicable, but saw it in almost a way that um, was like a map and there were the dots and I could see that if you did this and then you did this and then you did this, we could do you know, the big picture. And to be able to work with people in a way that made it relatable. And it wasn't such a big thing that was overwhelming and so weighty. And that was like, oh, we can do this. This is digestible. Um, So often when we get stuff from the Department of Ed or we get stuff from the textbook companies, it is heavy. It is Mm -hmm. so wordy. And the way that my brain works is just seeing those spots. Um, And it is weird in a lot of ways, the way that it happens, but it works. Yeah. On a personal note, and actually this is what kicked me off in my career, um, back in 2011, uh, I had a son, still have a son named Sam who was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer. He was a seventh grader and it was in his leg. He had osteosarcoma. And at that time, you know, as a parent, your your main job is to keep that child alive. You know, got cancer. We'd never dealt with cancer before. It was very, very scary. And um, Sam's journey was about two years and the cancer had spread. We had to um, decide what to do about that leg. Um, You know, he had a couple options. Um, One was to keep the leg, but he wouldn't be able to be athletic. And he'd always been just a really good athlete. Um, Another was to amputate completely. Another was to do this, excuse me, this strange surgery called rotation plasty, where they essentially cut out the middle of the leg where his cancer had been keeping the nerves and veins attached, taking what was left of the bottom of his leg, turning it backwards and sewing it back on. So essentially he would have his ankle as his knee and he would use his foot. So um, I had never heard of rotation plasty before, but of course, thankful for the internet. Um, So um, as a seventh grader, um, that's what Sam decided ultimately to do. And we let it be his decision, but he wanted to continue to be athletic. And um, during this two-year battle, um, he happened to get adopted by the Notre Dame football team. Uh, Coach Kelly was uh, there at the time, and that was one of his um, missions that he was doing to to help the athletes. And uh, here was this very, very sick child who did not want to um, be in the light, Um, but we pushed him. And um, as much as he pushed back, um, he had to learn how to 
talk in front of the TV cameras. He had to learn how to talk to these athletes. He had to learn how to be down on the field with these backpacks of IVs and, um, you know, ESPN was at our house, you know, these kind of things, but he was sick. He was miserable. And you fast forward to the point where he's now back at school two years later and he gets to start being athletic again. And then he gets into adaptive sports. You fast forward. He's now on Team USA as a high jumper. Fast forward. He now has three world records as a high jumper for Team USA. He goes to the Rio Paralympics and gets silver. Uh, just recently, he got gold in Tokyo, goes to Notre Dame as a student. All these things along the way, um, he learns this very, very strong work ethic, very, very strong work ethic. Um, and he learns how to talk to people because he he was pushed into it at a very young age and um ends up with his full ride to med school. He said in his third year at um, the University of Michigan, because I mean, he had 99.7 percentile in the MCAT because of his work ethic. Mm. Anyways, I say all of that, not to be the bragging mom, but the point is, as he speaks, he always references um, Steve Jobs quote, and I'm going to look at my notes here. His quote is, you can't connect the dots looking forward you can only connect them looking backward. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. And this approach has never let me down and it's made all the difference in my life. So the point being that we didn't know when he was diagnosed with cancer, mm. where he would be in 2024. But when we look at where he's at in 2024, we recognize looking back he wouldn't be here had it not been for that cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And so on that personal note that connect the dots, we can look back and be, had this not happened, this not happened, you wouldn't be where you are now. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's two pieces um, for us. And so when I, in November decided to, to make this step, it was like, I got to go with connect the dots because it works both personally and professionally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, that story, I think I could just listen to you say that story probably again and again, <laughs> because yeah. it's so powerful. And now he did a Ted talk also, right? He did. And that was a pretty proud moment. He was so nervous about it. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, what exactly do you say? How do you make it powerful um, without being bragging type of thing? Um, yeah. And it was, it was very good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so wonderful. And I love that you have taken his journey and this idea of connecting the dots and you have applied it to this, your work that you're doing right now with schools and really understanding the importance of connecting the dots. Because I think so often, and you probably experience this in your, well, in your past, but also in your role right now, is that people sometimes separate this curriculum piece and they separate assessment and they separate instruction. So it's like these isolated things, but they all connect. They all relate to one another and they have to be kept 
together and intertwined. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about what are some common challenges that you feel like educators face when they're trying to navigate curriculum and assessment. What I experience when I go to work with schools and they're dealing with what you just asked about is often a lack of time and mm -hmm. a lack a lack of exposure. I don't want to say a lack of knowledge because it, it's really a lack of exposure. And what I mean by that is I will go in and I'll start talking about what I know are some pretty powerful documents that have been created by the Department of Ed. And they've been out and they're like, we didn't know these existed mm -hmm. and what a difference they can make. And the fact that they lacked that exposure, that time to go through these in this aha moment and the reality of how much time um, they could have saved, um, how much stronger their lessons could have been. Um, had they known. And so then it's like, why didn't we know about this? Where was this information? And that is a little frustrating to recognize that there's somehow this breakdown. I mean, sometimes it's to the point of realizing they're using standards from like two adoptions ago. And they're like, how are we supposed to know that these adoptions had happened? And, you know, that's generally in schools that are really small and don't have a curriculum director, right? Um, or their principal, they might have a really great principal who um, instruction's just not their forte. You know, they're really good at mentoring. They're really good at student discipline. But when it comes to instructional leadership, that's not their piece. Yeah. So, you know, once they realize, oh, this exists, then they're ready to keep going and, and, and to use the information. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just wonder too, like, you know, we hear all of the time, what we need more of is actually time, right? And it just feels non-existent sometimes. But without that time, like without dedicating time to those kinds of things, well, then we end up months, years down the road, kind of in this spot that you're talking about where it's like, oh, my gosh, had we known about this all this time, things could have been so different. Um, and I, I find the same thing that sometimes I'm going into places and I'm speaking about things that I've researched and learned about and I know about because of my role. But it's not common knowledge. And I forget sometimes that it's not common or it should be common knowledge, but I forget yes. sometimes that it's not. Yes. Yeah. I'll start talking and it's like assuming, and then I'll see the looks on their faces and I'll have to do that. Okay, wait, we need to step back. We need to yeah. start over and start at a different place. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes yeah. wonder, you know, right now with the legislative um, process going on and in, in, in these decisions being made, my thought right now is, man, it would be nice if schools had to have, and I know there's so many like pieces that people would bring into this, but three professional development days with, you know, some 
some specific things that would have to happen that those days would be like, yeah. you're not just working on in your room grading papers type of thing mm -hmm. um, to ensure that there's these opportunities to be updated. You know, you think about other professions, medical field, you know, even people that that repair my cars, you know, if they don't stay up to date, they're not going to be able to fix my car or my furnace. And the same thing with education, we've got to stay up to date. And yet, so often it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah. And I think that I'm going to, if we have time later, I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to make a note of it because that's okay. a whole additional conversation that it we is. could have. Oh my gosh. But, so I do wonder in kind of thinking about this, like if we were able to dedicate time to staying up to date to th with things, how do you think educators could prioritize and organize all of these different elements of curriculum, like the resources, the standards and the assessments, because it's a lot. It is a lot. And what we need to do, in my opinion, goes back to systems mm -hmm. and setting up systems that are supportive of teachers. Um, I, and I actually brought this up ahead of time, recently uh, became a big fan of James Clear. He wrote the Atomic Habits book. And uh, I can't believe I don't have this quote memorized because I, I reference it all the time. But it's the you do not rise to the level of your goals. Uh, you fall to the level of your systems. And I wholeheartedly believe that we have to have the systems where to support what the teachers are doing. We have the resources in some kind of a repository, someplace mm -hmm. where they can easily access them. We have them in a place where it's commonly or often referenced. Don't forget. Let's go back. Let's look at these. Yep. I think we're guilty in education of covering once and yet teacher turnover is at an all time high. And so then we get new teachers and they don't get that information. Yeah. And so we've got to have the information in a place where it's in their face, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So when I'm curriculum mapping, the way that I set up my templates, it's a one-stop shop where everything that, I, not everything, because then it becomes, you know, messy, but there's a lot of links and we do it with on, um, spreadsheets where we can hide it, right? Because you can hide your columns. But I want when a new teacher walks in, I want them to be able to see it in one place. And for us not to forget to cover this information. And if we're not doing that, and we just think, oh, we'll cover it later, it's not going to happen. It's got to be right there. And we have to have the systems in place where we're intentional. So um if I'm going to do the work now, I've got to have it outlined in my plans where I'm going to return to it and it's in the calendar when I'm going to return to it. Yep. And not only like my calendar, if I'm the principal or some kind, maybe I'm the coach, but somewhere that if I leave and somebody else comes in, it's there for them because- yes. Our leaders are, are are more fluid than they used to be. 
And so we don't want the system to go away as new people come in. That clarity, you know, we get these clarity, these clarity pieces, we get our systems in place and they fall apart when somebody new comes in. And so it needs to be a part of that culture and it needs to be so clear. Now, that doesn't mean the new person's necessarily going to follow it, but they're definitely not going to follow it if we didn't leave it for them. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. I, one of the things that uh, I've been working on with one of the districts that I work with is when someone new comes to your campus, you should be able to say, at our school, we believe in XYZ. And some of our non-negotiables are this, this, and this. And this is where we have these documents. And I think we make the assumption that it's overkill because we've heard it and we said it so much. But for that new person, it is like a foreign language to them. And we forget that so often. And if we want the teacher to stay in our system. Yes. They're not going to stay if they're frustrated and they and they don't know anything and they're they can't find anything and they're creating everything. It's like such a key piece for teacher retention. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay. So you work so much with alignment, like district alignment, and that means alignment between curriculum, assessment, district standards. So what are some strategies that you use or you suggest people use? to make sure that there's alignment, because I think kind of to our recent point, that's going to boil down to really bringing clarity to how all of these things connect. So for me, um, it starts with the standards. And so before we get into the curriculum and the instruction and the assessment, I always want to start with I I call it becoming an expert on the standards. And so um, like my template that we start with is the standards. And we in Indiana, we have the correlation guides, the vertical articulations. We've got these frameworks and we're looking at all of those pieces. And sometimes the teachers don't like me. They don't like that process. And we start with grade level by grade level with this template and filling things out, getting clarity of what the students need to know and be able to do, um, common misconceptions, uh, what's in my lane, like, you know, what is it that I need to do and where am I supposed to stop because the next grade level is going to pick up? Mm -hmm. Is this a standard that is brand new or am I adding on to something? And we try to work on this document that we're then going to, um, like, it's going to stay. We're going to finish it. It's going to be a clean copy. And that's going to be a reference now. And um, when we go into the curriculum, the instruction, and the assessment with that alignment piece, that's our document to go back and to reference. So when I'm, I'm working with the assessment piece, um, I need to go back. What standard is that from? You know, right. And it's a lot of iterations. In other words, you don't get it on your first try, right? You, you, you go through it one time and this goes back to that systems because I want you this first try to just 
to get it done the best you can. Yeah. And now I need the instructional leader to be intentional that now next year, we're going to go back through it. And this year, we're going to look at our assessments and we're going to address depth of knowledge. Or we're going to address vocabulary or we're going to, you know what I mean? We're going to keep clearing these, these pieces up. We're going to get better and better. Um, but we're always going to make sure that if this is the assessment, that it goes back to the standards and then we're going to go through to the instruction and we're just going to make sure that all of those pieces align um, and that there's that clarity um, for the students in terms of, you know, your I can statements. Um, and I make the teachers when they're doing the standards work, <laughs> turn those I can statements into teacher facing statements. So it might say on there, because the, the state actually gives us some I can statements, mm -hmm. but we turn it into in which lesson will I? Yeah. And then I need you to go tell me in which lesson you're going to do that. So this is for the student. When you put the I can in front of it, now I want you to make it teacher facing. Mm -hmm. In which lesson will I? And um, that's that alignment all the way through. But you can't get it all in the first try. Right. And, um, and teachers need to know or else you're never going to get done. Right. You're never going to get it done. Right. And so I want to go back to something that you were sharing a minute ago. Because when you first started talking about this, you said a little bit about, um, you, I don't know that you said it in this way, but like teacher pushback or just pushback in general when you're beginning some this kind of work. Why do you think that is? Where What is the root cause of that? That's a hard one to answer. Yeah. So one is when we're talking about like curriculum mapping in general, mm -hmm. it means so many different things to so many people. Right. And so one of the things that I've done is went through the internet and I grabbed examples of curriculum maps from a number of Indiana schools and I linked them on a doc and in a Google doc. And when I go to work with schools, I show them all these different versions of curriculum maps. And I'm like, when you say you want a curriculum map, what are you thinking here? Because mm -hmm. look at all of these. And so I think one is them not knowing what do you mean by curriculum map. I think another is, and I hear this a lot, oh, we start a lot of things, but we never finish them. We start it. Oh, here mm -hmm. we go again. And yes. that goes back to that systems. Like, yeah. okay, if you're going to do this, you got to keep it going because your teachers, they think this is going to be a one year process and yeah. then it goes in the in the drawer and you're not going to keep it going. Right. So you, you got to keep it going. Yeah. Um, another is just trust, you know, all the way around. Mm -hmm. And some just kind of want to be doing their own. Their own thing. Yeah. Um, it, what do you. Yeah. I kind of want to yeah. ask you if you how you would answer that. Yeah, no, I I think uh, a lot of it definitely is initiative fatigue. So, okay, well, we've experienced this before. We're going to do this for a little bit of time, and then it's going to go by the wayside. So, why would I put my time and effort into it anyway? And I get that. Like, if they've never had anything consistently sustained, 
that's going to be the initial reaction. Um, and then I think too, it's, I'm putting my time and effort into this when I could be doing something else. And so they don't know or see the value in it. But I think, again, that goes back to if it hasn't been sustained or if it hasn't become relevant again in another way further down the road, then it loses its meaning. And I, you know, you were talking about uh, how we just want to go do our own thing. Well, if you've not had any mastery experiences with this, then you're not going to see value in it. So it takes more than just one time and it takes leadership really casting a vision for why we are doing this and what it's going to look like and all of those things. So I think it is definitely multifaceted. I would agree. I would, another one that I would add in there is I will hear, well, our data is good. So why should we? Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I hear that too. And <laughs> You know, I, I'm always thinking, okay, how can I push back a little bit on that that statement? Um, and it can be a really tricky thing because people are attached emotionally to their own data. So if it looks or appears to be as though their data is strong, then I that's an emotional attachment. Those mm -hmm. are my scores that I produced and you are questioning them if you're pushing back, but, you know, are we looking at students in the, from just like beginning of year to end of year, or are we looking at students from this eagle eyes perspective and thinking about them as lifelong learners? So they may be quote unquote mastering some skills by the end of the year, but can those skills carry over into the next year and the year after that? Can they build on those experiences and so on. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely a challenge. Okay. So why don't you, I think this is a great point for you to walk us through some successful examples of how connecting the right dots can lead to clarity, because that's really what we're talking about here is how do we bring clarity, right? Mm -hmm. So what are some successful examples of that? Yeah. <laughs> Let me think that one through real quick here. Um, I would say in recent months, the best example I, that comes to mind is Indiana went through um, in the last year um, a legislatively required reduction in prioritization. So our standards were reduced 25%. And what was left... 33% became essential standards. And so this is the first time we've had state chosen priority standards. Um, I love it because now as our kids are mobile, you know, as they're switching schools, we're focusing on the same foundational priority standards. Anyways, it has um, given a strong why as for schools to look at their curriculum maps and, it, and if they don't have them to start um, because the change in standards then requires a change in our statewide assessment. Mm. Anyways, when I go to work with schools, the connecting the dots part is, okay, our standards changed and it feels like, so what, right? It doesn't really 
whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'll start with, okay, here's the why. And a lot of people don't know that it was a legislatively required piece. They think that it was just something the Department of Ed decided to do. No, it was because of COVID. It was the academic loss, the idea being fewer standards and you go deeper. Then explaining the essential standards and the impact around the state. Then we have these correlation guides and we get those out. And again, most have not had the opportunity to see them. Again, didn't know they existed. And they show the changes from 2020 to 2023. How did the domains change? Which standards have been deleted in this? Oh my gosh, they took away those standards. How are these kids ever going to learn? You know, there's that emotional response. Um, We look at what's now essential. Um, And then moving forward and we pull out the frameworks. Again, a lot of people didn't know the frameworks existed. They break down the I can statements, the academic vocabulary. They give you the common misconceptions. They give you um, a bunch of information that like give you the clarity of it. And they're just like, oh, you know, that's like that. Aha. Mm -hmm. Then we get out the vertical articulation guide and it shows you again the previous and the next. Uh, We do a lot of, try to get them to do the new is blue activity, you know, to see what's changed from year to year. But even if they'll just see, oh, these essential standards that are in gray all the way across, this whole thread is essential. We know we really need to focus on that. Or, oh my gosh, I'm the first one that introduces this. They haven't had this any time before me. Mm -hmm. Um, or it stops with me, that kind of conversation. And by the time we get done connecting, hey, standards have changed. They're not new, but they're prioritized and they're reduced. And we look at this document, this document, this document, this document. Then suddenly there's, you can kind of feel the buzz in the room like, oh, we need to do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's one of our tested grades for iLearn, so three through eight, and we start looking at the new blueprints, then the buzz really changes. But it's pulling out this document, this document, this document. See how this feeds to this? We go a little deeper, a little deeper, a little deeper. And now, okay, now we can make this work because we see all of these pieces. Yeah. You know, when you start talking about all of those things, like just that pathway and how how it functions and how it brings clarity to like where we're headed, how we're going to get there, connecting the dots takes time. Like if we're connecting the dots between um, standards, curriculum, assessments, instruction, that takes a lot of time. But we have to decide, are we willing to spend the time and effort to do this? Or are we willing to spend the time and effort just kind of going at our own, not really knowing even where to begin, pulling random things that we can teach on a day-to-day basis? What's going to give us the biggest bang for our buck? And what is going to help us as teachers and as educators to feel really confident about what we are doing and where we're headed? Guaranteed, if we spend the time and effort connecting the dots, 
we spend less time and effort stressing over all of the other things. You are 100% right. That clarity just gives you that confidence and your ability to just kind of move on through. Yes, absolutely. Because you know, you know, like, this is my lane. This is what I'm going to work really hard at in my lane. And I know where the kids are coming from and where they're going after me. Yes. So much more comfort and confidence in that. So how can effective leaders support teachers with all of this? How can they support them with understanding and implementing clarity in curriculum and assessment strategies? I would say they're they're in a tough spot. It, mm -hmm. it is tough um, because what the number one thing that teachers will say is they need time. Mm -hmm. Time is that that uh, commodity that they just need. Yeah. And um, how do you get that time? Well, you know, you give them some work days. Well, what do you need to have a work day? You need to have subs. What do we have the shortage of? subs, right? And so you try to be creative in providing that. Um, that is really, really tough. So then it becomes trying to be creative. Um, when I work with different instructional leaders, it becomes, well, then how much do you do for them? And just say, hey, we went ahead and did it for you. You know, let's say like it's curriculum map. Well, you know what? I'm just going to pull Tammy she's really good at this stuff. She's just going to map it and then she'll just give it to the team. You know, they have to have that conversation of, well, is that the best for the whole team? Cause how, you, you know how that right. play out right there. Right. Yeah. Um, and so they're in a tough spot because it's not going to get done otherwise. Cause how do you get the whole team, you know, there? So you think, well, what about the summer? Well, can you pay them? And even if you can pay them, there's there's some that are just like, no, it's my summer. I'm not going to do it, which mm -hmm. is totally their choice for their own reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you support them? Otherwise, I don't have the magic answer there. Um, okay. it, sometimes it's a cultural thing. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of going back to that conversation earlier, you know, if they've been burned or they think this is just one more thing and they're like not doing it. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. That's it's probably one of the toughest questions. And I feel for principals um, and district admin who have to go through this battle on a day to day basis because they're trying to do what is best for their district as a whole, for teachers and for students. And it's just I know sometimes it can probably feel like a lose lose situation. Yeah. So that's that's hard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so tell us how you stay updated and adapt to this. I mean, like it's constantly shifting our educational world, right? It's constantly evolving. How do you stay up to date with all of these new things with curriculum and assessment? So you were very right with what you just said. Like everything's changing. Um I do joke that that's good job security for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have uh, a very nerdy personality when it comes to work. Um, so outside of work, not nerdy, but work-wise, I'd, I'd love just doing the digging in. Um, 
So for me, it's following legislation. It is reading the updates from the state. Um, I lead a lot of um, curriculum groups where we get together and we talk. Mm -hmm. And um, as people have questions, then I go try to find the answers and usually going down those rabbit holes. Um, and I think, and I think we talked about this earlier, which is not going too wide in the areas that I focus on. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was thinking about this earlier, we were talking about, you know, the curriculum, the instruction and the assessment. So when I work with schools, um, I never go into the instruction part. So if somebody wants to get into say math instruction, like, how do you teach this? I'll say, I know somebody, you know, and I will connect you with that person, but I'm not a math teacher and I'm not, you know, that's not my lane. Um, or like right now, obviously science of reading is such a, a big topic. Mm -hmm. And so is that topic or I think topics, the word I want to use there, um, rolled out and, and, you know, and, and more and more people were wanting to get training and get better understanding. There was a part of me that's like, I want to dig in and get to know this. But then I was like, no, if I do that, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. So I had to, to say, that's not for me. Um, I'll let other people specialize in that area. Um, and I think for me, that works. And when I go to talk to schools, they'll ask, how do you know all this stuff? And that's why, because I just stay in that lane. Yep. Yeah. And I think one of the best things about any consultant, really, and I will say this for any consultant that does it, if you find a consultant who will direct you to someone else who is an expertise, has expertise in an area they don't, you have found yourself someone that is worth holding on to for future work, because that's such a powerful, powerful thing. So tell us then as a consultant, what's your favorite way to support schools and teams? My absolute favorite is the um, leading curriculum instruction and assessment groups. So early on when I was working as a curriculum director uh, at it was Westview School Corporation. I was with them for 30 years. And my last couple of years, I was able to join a curriculum study group, right? In person. Mm -hmm. um, of course, this was pre-COVID. We did everything in person then. And I remember the first year, two years going and being scared to death. Like I did not say hardly anything and I just absorbed and was like, how do they know all this stuff? And um, it was just amazing. Like the collective energy of everybody sharing this information. And then fast forward, things changed and I started hosting it. Then I went to the service center and was able to, to host it. And I continue it now in what I'm doing and just bringing like-minded people who are struggling with the same issues related to, again, curriculum instruction and assessment and just saying, what's going on? What are the topics? And hearing them just be like, 
I can't figure this out. Or how are you guys doing this? And um, learning from each other, but then also being like, okay, guys, tell me what you need, you know, and then taking some notes, going and trying to find some answers um, and then coming back and seeing what we can do together is my absolute favorite thing to do. I would do that in a heartbeat. Doesn't make me any money, doesn't do any, but it's fills my heart. Yeah. 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 Isn't that what this is all about, right? Like I wouldn't want to go to work on any day if I don't get any joy out of it. Yes. And I would love to have these in person as much as possible, but we've all realized now that the time that it takes to drive and get together, we might as well just meet virtually. Yeah. Yeah. So this show is all about building cohesive vision driven teams. So my last question to you is why is clarity and connecting the dots crucial for building cohesive vision driven teams? I liken it to um, the analogy of cooks in a kitchen. So if I go into work with an administrative team, because that's usually where it starts, right? You're, you're working with an administrative team to begin with. And principal A is doing great things. Principal B, you know, all the way around the room, you're doing great things. You really are. But if you're making pizza and you're making macaroni and cheese and you're making beef stroganoff and, you know, you go around the room and that's all great, but we're not all making the same thing, you know, where I'm going with this, you know, I elaborated on uh, more on it, obviously, when we're there, Um, we're, we're not using the same recipe and it's not going to get us in the same place. And we've got to be working towards that same recipe. You know, everybody's contributing to get to that same place. And I can usually tell um, within a very short amount of time with a few questions, if they're on the same page or not. Mm -hmm. And um, by the vocabulary, are they using common vocabulary? Um, If they're not, you know, why you know because they're talking about different plans they're they're not even on the same safe framework and so how can they plan next steps if they're not going in the same direction right and so um when you've got teachers who are going from building to building um you've got students going from building to building if we don't have clarity between all of those pieces we've got it, we've got some issues. And so there's got to be agreement on just even basic things like, you know, this grade level's teaching the kids race. This one's doing yes, ma'am. And this one's doing another acronym, right? And these kids are like, what am I doing here? I'm do- what? Are- you know, we got to sit down. We got to talk about some of these pieces here. Um, where are we going? And, you know, you can tell if, if they've got similar goals or not. Right. Yeah. I love it. And that's that I would say that that is primarily my focus is ensuring that teams have clarity about one instructional focus. Um, It's my very favorite thing to do. 
So this has been the best conversation. There, there's so much more that we could talk about. I feel like we yeah. probably just need to do another episode um, on another topic. So All that right. would be easy. So put it on your calendar. We're going to come back together. But guys, if you are here with us tonight live, I want to know in the comments what you feel like has been most useful for you so far. And um, let our listeners know, Michelle, what you hope that they walk away from this conversation most with. Oh, wow. Um, that is a tough one. So we're focusing on connecting the dots. You know, I think I'd have to go on the personal note, um, going back to Sam's story and just, I think I have to go to that, you know, that idea that wherever you're at in life or things that are happening or might happen, that idea of look, just wait and, and knowing that you're going to be able to look back and see like, oh, because this happened, this happened. And this happened. I mean, I can even say I am so happy in the job that I have now, but I had to have some stuff happen beforehand that wasn't very pleasant mm -hmm. to get me here. But I can now look back and connect these like, oh, because this happened. Da, da, da. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know. Is that getting yeah. old in wisdom? I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Well, you're sharing that wisdom, which is the most important thing. There you go. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And I love that. I've got two kids. I got a daughter in um, out in Los Angeles, and we have these conversations. And I just love having the ability to to share that. Yeah. Yeah, that's very special. And now you have shared that with me and with this audience. And I know that it's going to get shared with other people. So thank you so much for coming on this show. Um, and where can where can our guests find you? Website? You know, my website's not up yet. Been that's too okay. busy to do that. I mean, they can find me on Facebook, just Michelle Grew, or on LinkedIn. That's right. Okay, guys. And I'm going to have um, the ways that you can contact Michelle in the show notes. So you can be sure to check the show notes on YouTube. Or if you catch this on the podcast platforms, you will see all of the show notes and see where you can contact Michelle. Okay. This has been a great episode. Listeners, I hope you can come back next week for our next episode. Have a great evening, everybody. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Bye. Hey there, thanks for joining this episode. I would love for you to do me three solid favors before you head out. Number one, subscribe to this show. I've got a lot of great guests and content coming up, and I don't want you to miss any of it. Number two, share this show. Share it with your like-minded colleagues and friends and those leaders who are eager to build cohesive, vision-driven teams. And finally, connect with me on all the social media platforms. You can find me at Catch Up With Casey on Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Until next time, go off and create teams that leave people feeling inspired, empowered, and eager for more each day. 